everyone. So before we get started, I want you all to take a second to think about all of the different types of content that you deal with every day. And I know a lot of you are probably thinking, I'm not a writer, but you probably have a lot of different kinds of communication come across your desk every day, whether you're a designer, a developer, a writer, a marketing person, or anyone else who touches websites. And that's true for me too. I work for MailChimp, it's an email marketing company, and we have an app and a website and a knowledge base and a blog and guides and reports and research, social media channels, marketing campaigns, compliance and support messaging, the list goes on. And it can be really overwhelming just to try to keep up with it all, much less to make it all sound like it came from the same place. And part of my job is to guard MailChimp's voice and personality and focus on the language that we use when we communicate with our customers. So I think a lot about our voice and our personality, and I think a lot about tone of voice, too. And people use those words voice and tone interchangeably to mean voice, really, but they're not the same thing. Voice is something that doesn't change much. It's about who we are. It's about the way we communicate with people and our perspective, whereas our tone of voice is constantly changing, depending on the situation and depending on our readers and our users. Because the people at the other end of our content are just that, they're people. They have their own feelings and thoughts and preferences. They have their own senses of humor and touchy subjects and value systems. They have their own perspectives and expectations of us. And they bring all of that to the table when they interact with our content. Because they're human, just like us. And they deserve our thoughtfulness and our respect. And I think one of the best ways to show them that respect is to have a consistent human voice and adapt our tone with their feelings in mind. And if we want to have a consistent and human voice, then we got to get the whole team on board. This stuff isn't just for writers. So let's jump right in. We can't even begin to talk about tone of voice without talking about voice itself and finding your company or your blog or your website or your brand's voice. And I say find here and not something like create, because where there is a company, there is already a voice. Sometimes it's deep down, buried under a pile of corporate jargon and SEO garbage, and we have to dig it out. But it's there. And that's because behind every company, you find people. Sometimes it's just one person, maybe it's you, but it's someone who started that company for a reason. Someone who maybe was trying to make the world a little better. And someone with a perspective that is unique to that company. And that's what we're trying to get at when we're looking for a company's voice, that unique perspective. So I'm going to show you a little glimpse of the person behind our company, MailChimp. This is an email from my boss, Ben. He's our CEO, and he sends these occasional emails to the whole staff. Now, this was an email he sent out when we had, and we were moving offices, kind of moving across the parking lot, and ended up with this big empty space, and people started coming to him asking for like gyms and yoga studios and things like that. So he sent him an official memo to the whole company. Here's what it said. If you complain to me that the weight equipment is old, shut up. Rocky Balboa trained with rocks and dead animals in a meat locker. Gravity is gravity, and heavy stuff weighs the same whether it's old or new. So that's what he said about our existing gym. And I'm showing you this not to brag on my weird boss, but 
to show you what the person behind our company looks like and to show you that MailChimp's voice isn't about me at all, not even by a long shot. It's about this spirit that someone else created that I'm just constantly trying to tap into. So I started, and I recommend everyone start the process the same way, the same way we start a lot of projects, by asking questions. So if you can find a CEO or a founder, if you're working at a small company, and you can sit down and talk to someone, whatever your role is in the company, ask them some questions. If you work for yourself, ask yourself these kinds of questions to get at your own voice. What does your company do? Why did you start your company in the first place? Why do people visit your website and who are these people? Who, what other companies do you admire? My favorite, if your brand were a person, how would you describe them? I like to ask for a few examples of content that suits the brand and then maybe a few examples of content that doesn't suit the brand. And then how do you want people to feel when they visit your website? And again, the answers to these questions help us zoom in on that company's personality and help us understand the company's unique perspective and the people behind it. So then you can start making a list. This is what I call a this but not that list. It's a list of adjectives that describe someone or a company's personality and then you just kind of go through and qualify each one. So for example, we say MailChimp is fun but not childish. MailChimp is clever, but not silly, which both of those are probably debatable. But that second word just really helps writers and other people from around the office figure out where exactly the company falls on that personality map. And from there, you can mix and match. This is a design persona that my colleague Aaron Walter made for his team a long time ago. This is old. It got into our voice, engagement methods. It had this really simple personality map. And when I got my hands on this, I used it in our voice and tone content, and I started using this as a teaching resource for people around the office. We also use personas. They can be really, personas can be really useless, and they can be really helpful. And we put ours up on posters, they're framed, and they're on the wall near our espresso machine in the office. Because, again, my colleague Aaron, he put this together with his team, and his philosophy was, if we can get a developer and a designer and a marketing person and a support person and a business person standing around talking about our customers and their needs and the language we use to communicate with our customers over a cup of coffee, then that's great. So again, we kind of wrapped all this up into what I call our voice and tone teaching content. So from there, you might add the company's mission statement, a list of content types and specific content examples, brand traits, Reader and customer types, this could be as simple as a, a spreadsheet of different types of readers or something more involved. And then visual guidelines, if that makes sense for you. Now, all this talk about voice guidelines, we need to talk about where a traditional style guide fits into all this, because you hear about them a lot. And they're important. We use a traditional style guide at MailChimp too. It's separate from our voice and tone guide. But I think for people like us in this room, for people who aren't necessarily sitting down writing editorial content every day, voice and tone guides and paying attention to voice and tone is much more important than reading a traditional style guide and trying to learn the difference between an M dash and a hyphen. And I say that for a couple of reasons. One, because there are traditional style guides that already exist. 
This is the Yahoo style guide. It's fantastic. It's the one we use at MailChimp. I hand it out like candy at the office. It's great. And this kind of stuff can be taught. Traditional style is something that can be taught and it can be edited for. Not so much voice and tone. And I'll illustrate that with an example. Let's say we have two people writing an article for me. One is a writer's writer. Just really well-trained, understands the traditional style guide, knows it like the back of her hand, but doesn't really understand the company's voice and tone and perspective and sense of humor. Doesn't really get it. Maybe this is a new person. Maybe this person just isn't really a good fit. Now, the other person is the reverse of that. Someone who really gets the company's perspective and sense of humor and voice and tone, but a little bit of a sloppy writer, not really good with grammar. That person, the sloppy writer who really gets it, turns in an article and what I have is a cleanup job. It's not a big deal. I might drop in a few commas, fix a few spelling errors, things like that. And that's part of my job as an editor. But that other person, the person who's the super fantastic writer who really doesn't understand our company, turns in an article and I can't do anything with that. It's not a cleanup job. It's a start from scratch. It's a teach somebody to fish kind of thing. So that's why I think that voice and tone guidelines are so important for all of us in this room and for us to share across departments within our own companies and teams. William Burnback said it best. He said, it is insight into human nature that is key to the communicator skill. For whereas the writer is concerned with what he puts into his writings, the communicator is concerned with what the reader gets out of it. And I think that's a really important distinction. We're communicating here. Every one of us, regardless of what part of the product or app or website or building we're working on, we're on some level in the business of communication. One way to hold ourselves accountable for that is to do what Peter Elbow calls speaking onto the page. He says in his book, Vernacular Eloquence, which I recommend, he said this, a good teacher I know has a simple but effective technique for the writing classroom. When her students have blah voiceless writing, she makes them speak the following words to her before reading their text. Listen to me. I have something to tell you. And this might seem like a silly classroom exercise, but it's not. It's so valuable. Reading your work out loud can truly transform your writing. And I say that for a couple of reasons. One is because simply it keeps you from sounding like a robot. When I read my work out loud, I do what I call a human check. I make sure everything flows, make sure there's no awkward construction, things like that. But more importantly than that, reading out loud makes us more empathetic. And that's because when we're having face-to-face -face conversations, we have this really wonderful built-in empathy. And that's because we're looking at someone. We don't want to hurt their feelings or say the wrong thing or offend them in any way. And we're thinking about their feelings more than we are when we're writing. That empathy is so often missing from our writing. So a simple way to channel that conversational empathy that we all have from day to day is to just read your work out loud. It's so helpful. In fact, I read everything I write out loud. If I published it on MailChimp's website, I have read it out loud. I stay home one day a week because it really annoys my coworkers when they hear me like reading things at this volume all day long at my desk. And I just spend that time reading. And so I recommend that everyone, even on the tiniest 
little sentences. Um, read your work out loud and see what happens to your writing. Because I think what will happen is you'll watch your tone of voice change before your eyes. Anne Lamott says you can write as if you're writing a letter to her brother Steve-O. And sometimes it does help to keep a specific person in mind when you're reading your work out loud. Now, let's talk specifically about tone of voice. This is my dog, Leon. He has taught me a lot about tone of voice, and that's because he responds to my tone. And sometimes I think only my tone. So I, I don't know how many words dogs know. I heard once it was like dogs know up to a thousand words or something like that, but my dog doesn't. He's adorable. He's not very smart. And I don't even know that he knows that words mean things. But he responds to my tone of voice. So when I say, Leon, you want to go on a walk? He doesn't know what walk means. He just hears what I'm saying and perks up and he feels really happy. And when I say to him, Leon, no, he doesn't know exactly what no means, but he knows he's in trouble. And I think that dogs and babies, too, are really good daily reminders that it's not just what we say that matters. Sometimes it's how we say it. So I'm going to use MailChimp as a little bit of a case study and show you where I started with this whole tone of voice conversation and where we ended up. It started with a traditional style guide. I was working on this list of our content types, going through each one and kind of explaining this is what purpose this content type serves and um, just explaining each one. And I realized that we have this huge range in content types. On one hand, we have our mascots jokes. So for those of you who have used MailChimp before, you know when you would log into your account, our little mascot, Freddie, would appear up in the corner making some absurd joke, linking to a YouTube video, saying he likes your haircut, something completely random. And it is purely an extra layer of humor. In fact, it was so extra that when we had this in our app, you could opt out of it. And you had to check a box that said enable party pooper mode, but you could opt out of it. And we've since, we just had a redesign recently, and we took it out of the app, and we felt so bad about taking Freddie's jokes out of the app that we moved them to their own website. So they have their own little place now. But I'm working on the style guide, realizing on one hand, we've got these really silly jokes inside our app. And then on the other hand, we have compliance alerts, which are basically messages that say, hello, I'm sorry, we had to shut down your account because you were spamming. That's bad news. And it's important to note that spammers don't always mean to do evil things. Sometimes you do it accidentally. Sometimes people didn't know any better. Maybe someone thought that they could collect business cards in a fishbowl and then send all of those people marketing messages. So this could ruin someone's day. In the case of e-commerce and daily deal senders, they're losing money every second. Their campaign isn't going out the door. So this is really bad news, and I realized, working on that style guide, we're going from this to this. Our customers are dealing with a huge range in content types, and what that means is they're experiencing a huge spectrum of emotions when they're interacting with our content. They're all over the map here. We can make their day, and we can ruin their day completely. So all of a sudden, one voice and tone fits all, didn't seem to make sense anymore. The public would have a lot more respect for advertising. And I think you could plug any company or product's name in there where it says advertising, and that would be true. So what do we do about it? We adapt our tone with our users and our readers' feelings in mind. 
first, we consider the content type because sometimes that gets you all the way there. Like in the case of our mascots jokes that I showed you, all I need to know is that I'm writing a joke and I know what tone to strike, right? But sometimes you have to take it another step and think about the reader's emotional state. And when you do that, ask yourself questions like, what situation is this person in that's bringing her to this content? And what situation am I about to put her in? How does she feel right now? And how is she going to feel when I'm done with her? And what can I do to make her happy or keep her happy? And of course, we also have to keep in mind that everyone's got touchy subjects. There are certain topics and industries that are sensitive by nature. Health and medicine is a good example. When people are looking at a hospital or a hospice website, they're likely to be feeling vulnerable or scared or nervous or upset. Religion and politics, those are notorious don't go there topics. Money, banking, people are naturally very protective of their private information, so they're often feeling on guard when they're interacting with content in the money and banking realm. And then fundraising. Asking for money is always a little bit awkward too. But then there are content types that a lot of us probably deal with every day, regardless of industry, that are a little bit sensitive by nature too. Help documents and contact pages are places where people go when they have a problem. They might be troubleshooting. They're probably not in a very good mood. They want to get in and get their answer, and then they want to get out. So that's not necessarily a good place for humor. Forms are annoying to fill out, and they often involve private information, so that's another one. And then, of course, failure messages and any sort of legal, urgent types of content. So with all that in mind, let's go back to my style guide I was working on. This is the beginning of our voice and tone guide. I pulled up that wheel of emotions and I started making a list of our content types and then listing the emotions associated with each one. This is a mess. You'll see where I crossed things out. You'll see where I wrote things a lot of times in a row. And it changed a lot from this point. But this is where I started. And here's where we ended up. It's a voice and tone guide. It's a public website. It's at voiceandtone.com if you want to see it and poke around. We made it public because we wanted to share it and make it a little bit of an experiment. And we explained to our writers, before you sit down to write, you have to think about the reader's feelings. Our voice pretty much stays the same, but our tone is constantly changing. So it starts out green and goes all the way to red. Green is for the happy emotions, and red is for that serious business we talked about earlier. So I'm just going to walk you through a couple of these pages of our voice and tone guide. So the green one, Freddie's jokes, our mascot's jokes that I already showed you. First, we give a hypothetical quote from the user. The user might be saying, I never know what Freddie's going to say when I log in, but he cracks me up. And we predict the user's feelings. In this case, surprise, delight, curiosity, I hope. And then, with those feelings in mind, we offer some tips. We tell people, we remind people that these jokes are not intended to be useful or educational in any way. We all remember Clippy. We don't want to go back there. That's not what we're trying to do. It's an extra layer of humor. So, surprise, delight people, catch people off guard. And then we have an actual quote from our app. Now, let's look at the other end of the spectrum, the compliance alert that we talked about. The user might be thinking, oh no, I hope I don't get fired. And they might be feeling confusion, stress, anger, helplessness, and fear. 
And I want to point out that at this part of the process, it was almost startling for me to realize that we, as an email company, an email company, can make people feel confused, stressed, angry, helpless, and scared. But we can't because our content can really make people feel things. So that's why this voice and tone stuff is so important. And then we offer some tips with those feelings in mind. We say be straightforward. People who are upset, they want to know what's going on and they want to know what's going on now. Be calm. Don't use alarming words like alert and immediately. Don't use exclamation points. Don't be funny. And then, of course, we have the, the actual example from our content. Now, then there are in-between content types where it doesn't necessarily go one way or the other and you have to think about a couple of different types of users. In those cases, I broke them up within our voice and tone guide. So social media is one example. We have a couple of different types of people who follow us on social media. We have loyal MailChimp users who follow us on Twitter, they read our blog, they use MailChimp all the time, they love us, we love them, we still have to get right to the point because we're talking about social media, but we treat them like friends at our table. We can be more casual and informal with them. They're, lo they're looking for messages like giveaways and pictures from behind the scenes and things like that. And then we have the email marketing experts who follow us. They often don't really care one way or the other about MailChimp. They just need our news and they want to know if we have a new feature that they want to tell their clients about or write about. They're distracted, they're frustrated, and my only advice when it comes to those people is to get in and get out without pissing anybody off. So this is our voice and tone guide. It's pretty elaborate, and that's because, like I said, we wanted it to be an experiment. We had a whole, you know, team of people working on it. It was a fun project for us. But these things don't have to be elaborate. This is Tufts University's voice and tone guide. It, they have their voice and tone guide on a wiki. It's a part of their style guide. They get into specifics about not just their voice, but also their tone. They have specific examples of things to say and things not to say. And it's extremely useful. And it probably didn't take a big team of people or a lot of resources or any buy-in to be able to do something like this. This is Macmillan Cancer Support's writing guide. It's one of my favorite writing guides I've seen. Now you can imagine, this is a cancer support organization. People visiting their website are likely to be feeling scared and upset and nervous and dealing with financial issues as well as tragedy in their lives. And they have to think about that first before they start talking about grammar and hyphens and commas and capitalization, right? So they have a whole big part of their guide called putting people at the heart of our work. They say to be positive but realistic. They say to put people first. They say not to shy away from talking about death, but don't use language that would add to the fear that's associated with it. They say to speak in plain English and think about your reader and before you ever put keys to the keyboard. And I think this is so fantastic because it's so clearly rooted in empathy. This isn't a writing guide for just for writers. This is a people guide. It's a communication guide for everyone in their organization that helps everyone across departments understand how to communicate on behalf of that company and how to write and speak from a place of empathy. 
So that's a great one for inspiration. And then of course, gov.uk, we've probably all seen this by now. Their redesign was fantastic and they have this wonderful style guide behind it. And if you think about, this is a website that provides information about the UK government. The range of people visiting that website is huge. They've got people from all different backgrounds, people at different reading levels, people with different needs and abilities. And so they talk about, again, writing in plain English, and they say to use a tone that is inclusive and accessible for all of those people, but not to dumb down their language. So again, this is where tone of voice can make all the difference in a website that reaches so many people. So now I want to run through a couple examples of empathetic content and not so empathetic content from out in the wild. And I'm going to break the ice by showing you a few places where we got it wrong at MailChimp. This is a tweet from our MailChimp status account where people look when they might be having problems with our service and they want to know what's going on. It says, happy Monday everyone. Our engineers are working as quickly as possible to get things working properly. Thanks for your patience. So besides the fact that it says working twice, the obvious problem here is that it's not a happy Monday for people who are trying to get an email out the door and can't because MailChimp is failing them. So this just strikes the wrong tone. It comes across as insensitive and it's one of those things that we were trying to be nice, but these, these sorts of messages just make their way into our content and sometimes we catch them later like we did here. This is an unsubscribe notification inside our app. So when you log into MailChimp, we give you a little news feed of things that are going on with your account, including when people have unsubscribed from your newsletter. Now, it's important to know that unsubscribes aren't a big deal. They happen to everyone. And the bigger your list is, the more unsubscribes you're going to have. So we wanted to kind of normalize that for our customers, especially our new customers, and say, hey, you had a few people unsubscribe, but it's fine, everything's fine, you're doing great, right? So we said, you had a few people jump ship. Ah, uh, who needs them anyway? <laughs> now, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Again, we were trying to be nice. We were trying to say, oh, who needs, it? it's fine. You're doing great. But we ended up sending a message that we don't value our customers' customers. And that's not true, it's not genuine, it's not honest, so we changed it a little. It says these things happen for a number of reasons, but you might wanna check out our tips for keeping a healthy list. So this is where we are now, and it's probably gonna change again. We're working on a couple of different options for this message, but I'm showing you this because it's an example of the little tiny voice and tone problems that we spend so much time trying to solve every day. And it just never ends. We're constantly discovering new places like this where we could be a little more empathetic. Now this is a place where we're playful on purpose. It's when you're getting ready to send a campaign in MailChimp. Now, recently I had to send a campaign to more than three million people because we had redesigned all of our legal content at MailChimp and when you do something like that, you're required to notify all of your users that something changed with the legal content. So it was the biggest campaign I've ever sent. I send a lot of emails for work, but not really to our entire user base. We don't do that a lot, we try not to. And I remember when it came time for me to click that button, feeling really proud of the work that we had done, excited to share it with our customers, and 
terrified. I was terrified to email more than three million people because once you send an email, it's done. It's like it, you can't go back and edit it later. You've sent it, right? So in that moment, I kind of felt our customers' pain and I also felt their excitement. And that's a really special moment because we do need to say to our customers when they're getting ready to click that send button, hey, hold on, are you sure you want to send? Because this is it. Once it's out the door, it's out the door. You can't like ask us to fix it later. But we also want to encourage those happy and proud and relieved and excited feelings. And we don't want to make them nervous. So we ended up with, this is your moment of glory. And again, it's just a couple little words. It's, they're so small inside our app, but this is one of my favorite moments inside of our app because it's an example of something that just we put so much thought into and we just really want to get it right for our customers. And then, of course, when they send the campaign, we can feel free to be playful. So we say high fives. Your campaign's in the queue and we'll go out shortly. So now I'm going to show you a couple of non-MailChimp examples. Here's an unsubscribe screen from the Obama campaign back in the last, during the last election. Now an unsubscribe screen is when you get someone's newsletter and you click the link that says unsubscribe and say, I don't want to get this newsletter ever again. So you get this message. I'm voting for the president in 2012. I just get too many emails. That's what a lot of folks who end up on this page say. And then they say, here's why we think you should stick around. And then they say, if you're just looking to get fewer emails, you can do that too. And this is an example of where it's not just their voice, their tone of voice is everything here. They say, we know exactly how you feel. They validate those feelings. And then they offer a solution. And they know that they're already on thin ice with these people who are reading these messages. So I think this is such an example of empathetic content um, in a really important spot. And obviously, there's a lot on the line during a presidential campaign. They're fundraising, and they're trying to get votes. And I think they just did a great job with this. High five, President Obama. Now, I'm going to show you the unsubscribe screen from the Romney campaign. OK, again. So put yourself in the user's shoes. You click to unsubscribe to say, hello, Mitt Romney, I never want to hear from you again. And you get this message. Thank you. <laughs> you have been unsubscribed from this publication. So I don't think I really need to explain why when somebody says they never want to hear from you again, emphatically thanking them is probably not the best way to go. But I will point out that this was probably automatically generated content from an email service provider. I don't think someone from the Romney campaign sat down to write this message. But I think someone from the Romney campaign should have sat down to write this message because these little moments are really important. And some of these moments are places where the developers and designers are working with content that the writers never see. And that's why it's so important that we're all on board with this stuff. Photo Jojo, a photo company. It says, we're sad to see you go. And I just think that's so kind of charming and nice. And they know that this might be the last message that a customer ever sees from them. And I think this is a really nice note to end on. Now, this is an unsubscribe screen from a T newsletter called T-Muse. It says, we all know how sensitive your computer's mouse can be. So we'd just like to make sure that you really want to miss out on our Pulitzer Prize winning articles. To go against your best interests and confirm anyway, please click unsubscribe. So again, 
When somebody is in this frame of mind, they don't want your sarcasm. They're already telling you they don't want to hear anything from you again. So this is not the place for humor. It doesn't come across as funny here, and it doesn't come across as genuine. David Ogilvie said the consumer isn't a moron. She's your wife. So on that note, I want to talk specifically about humor, because humor is an important part of this tone of voice conversation, and humor is where a lot of companies miss the mark. And that's because companies think, well, we're funny, so we have to be funny all the time. And that's not true. That's a bad idea. Think about the funniest person you know. That person isn't funny all the time. That would be completely obnoxious. It would be sociopathic. So we have to know when to keep a straight face. 404 screens are popular places for humor, and it kind of goes against my error message rule. Technically, it's an error message, but people expect humor there. It's not usually a big deal, and it's a good place to show your personality. This is Mint.com's 404 screen. It says, we looked everywhere and couldn't find that page, but we did find these under the couch cushion. And I think it's really cute, but what I like about it most is that right here at the bottom, they say, oh, that's not what you're looking for? Here, we'll help you get where you're trying to go. So I think this is a great combination of really playful, shows off their personality, and useful for their customers. Now, I'm going to show you a 404 screen that we made at MailChimp and didn't ever publish. And I like to repeat that before I show it to you. We did not put this on the internet, OK? <laughs> Okay, <laughs> so that's a pregnancy test, and our designer at the time, Aaron, made that, and he's hilarious, and he made this all on his own, and then he showed it to me, and I cracked up, and we were just dying laughing, and then we showed it to the rest of our team, and everyone was laughing. We had tears streaming down our face. It was the best day, and then we showed it to our boss, our CEO, Ben. And he cracked up laughing. And then he was like, ha, 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 no, no, absolutely not. No, you are not publishing that. And this was a couple years ago. And in retrospect, I think we really dodged a bullet with that one. And at the time, I was really focused on being funny. I wanted MailChimp to be funny and make jokes and make people laugh. And I wasn't thinking about the fact that something that's funny to me, something that's funny to my team, it might not be appropriate for anyone who could potentially see that message. Obviously, pregnancy is an emotional topic. This could have offended people on a number of levels. And it just wasn't right. So we had to learn when, not just to keep a straight face, but how to keep our humor in check and how to make sure it's appropriate at different times. This is a company called Woot. It's a daily deal company. And they're known for having this really playful, fun, sarcastic voice. They're really fun. This is a product description page for a desktop scanner, and it says, I'm sorry, sir, I'm just a document scanner. I can't advise you on your theory that the IRS is unconstitutional. And I think product pages like this are great places for humor. And that's as long as you get the important information across, which they do up here. And that's because people are looking to spend some money. They, they're exploring. In this case, they're looking to save some money. So as long as you're in one of those safe industries, this is a good place for humor. Now, this is the same company, Woot's contact page. They have frequently asked questions up here. It says, I missed yesterday's item. Can I still get one? They say, no. 
Each product is discontinued at 11.59 Central Time. That's that period. We may get more at a later date, but we offer no guarantees, allow no back orders, and have no waiting lists. Too bad. And then when you're looking for their email address, they say that they love to hear from their angry, disappointed, and betrayed fans. And they call it the stinking email address. Now, I'm hesitant to use Woot as an example because I really like what they do a lot of the time, but I'm showing you this because this is what happens when your voice stays exactly the same across content types and your tone stays exactly the same across content types. A tone of voice that might really work on a product page when people are in a positive frame of mind isn't going to come across the same way on a contact page when people are, are not feeling happy not feeling excited, not feeling so good about your company maybe. So this doesn't come across as very nice and it doesn't come across as an honest reflection of the people behind the company because I'm sure this was a group of really nice people who just were thinking, oh, we're funny, let's be funny all the time. So on that note, I wanna wrap up by talking about honesty. It's something I've been thinking a lot about lately and we already talked about how the best brand voices are true reflections of the people behind a company. But there's more to it than that. Honesty is also about knowing our place in our customers' lives. And I'll speak for myself. MailChimp is an email newsletter company. Using MailChimp is part of someone's day. It's a task. It's a job they have to do. It's not always very exciting. And when we realize that we fit in a very small part of our customers' lives. When we really take a step back and have some perspective on where we do fit into our customers' lives, I think it, that can transform our content too. It makes it more honest, it makes it more genuine, and it helps us connect more with our customers because they deserve better than these vague superlatives and cheap comparisons that we see all over the place. These are real. I pulled these from the real internet. We're the best in our industry. We're life-changing. We have powerful products and solutions. This is easy, easy, easy. They deserve better than that because they see right through this kind of thing. And it makes more sense for us to focus on our true strengths instead of speaking in this jargon and this language that people don't really connect with. Warby Parker is a company that's really good at being honest with its customers and potential customers. They got their name from two of Jack Kerouac's early characters, Zag Parker and Warby Pepper. They love literature. They love reading. They love books. They love words. They have a library in their office for their staff for no other reason than they love books and they love reading and they want to share that love with their staff. They've got these fantastic writing guidelines for their writers where they have a section called Striking the Right Tone. They have their own little this but not that list, and they say to write like Warby Parker is the person you'd want seated next to you at a dinner party. And I think that's just a really nice image. And it comes through in their content. This is their story page. Their content is engaging. It does tell a story. It's sophisticated and it's friendly. And what I love about this company is that there is this distinct thread that runs through from the very name of their company to their office and culture to the resources that they provide for their employees and writers, to their public content. That, to me, is what it looks like when a company is honest. Maya Angelou said this, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Thank y'all.